Hello. Hi. I'm Emma. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marissa. There she is. Hello, friends. We have another friend in the virtual podnook today. This is Marissa. Hello. It's so good to be here. (laughs) Beyond excited to be joining. Coming to us live from Bella's bedroom. (laughs) Truly. I love a fun Zoom background, especially when I'm view. (laughs) You really really went strong with the theme today. You're wearing a Peta Malark t-shirt. And you're in Bella Swan's bedroom. I just It's <laughs> the, really my two personalities. The early personalities. 2000s of it all is just so vivid. It's great. I yeah. love that you say early 2000s when we mean mid-2000s. Oh, that's true. It's like true. 2010s. Yeah, you're like not wrong. 2010s. Like early 2000s was like Pokemon cards and butterfly clips and jelly shoes. In my head, it's still 2015. It Like the 2000s was like three years ago. It's not like... What do you mean 9-11 was over 20 years ago? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to this podcast, Doesn't Exist. We didn't say that. We got too excited oh, yes. about our friend. Uh, yes. But we're now three best friends here to chat about spooky, ooky, creepy, crawly, oofy, groovy stuff. Oofy, <laughs> groovy. That's a new one. I panicked. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Very Scooby-Doo, which seems to be the theme of quite a few of Scoober- our episodes. <laughs> This past these past couple months, were you aware that H- Scooby Doo's legal name is Scoobert? No. Oh my god. Okay, me Scoobert either. Do Scoobert do not Scoobius, <laughs> which is what her initial guess was. Or- <laughs> not the audio paneling falling on on Emma. <laughs> Guys, I really tried. I really tried to put these audio panels up with command strips that were supposedly very sticky they're apparently too heavy i'm a little afraid that they're all gonna fall on me during this episode so sorry if i feel like i'm not paying attention i'm Add just a little you know, bit of spice <laughs> darting around for my life over here we love it well if you want to catch up on any of our episodes scooby-doo lore other spooky things other guest hosts that we've had on the pod you can visit our website this podcast doesn't exist.com dot com and you can find all that stuff there we got a bingo card we've got social media you got to follow us all the places if you want to potentially be a guest host or just a guest guest you could write into the pod. There's a juicy button there for you to do that. So, Ooh, it's juicy this time. Juicy. <laughs> juicy. Like some bubble yum bubble gum. There we go. I love that. Well, today, friends, it's not of Shannon or of Emma. It is of Marissa. We get to hear from our lovely friend. Some. What are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about vampires. More specifically... Vampire history, the origin and evolution of vampires. Super exciting stuff. We're getting we're getting a, a college course on, <laughs> on vampires is what it sounds like. You just read us the syllabus. No, for real. I literally, when I was doing my research last night, I was like, I feel like I'm like a scholar, an academic, a professor, assembling yes. all this information. There's a, there's a word for people who research and like look into Bigfoot. And I'm going to forget what it is right now. Go listen to that episode if you want to remind me. But are they what are they? Squatchologists or something? Squatchers. They're squatchers. Squatchers. <laughs> They're squatchers. That's so I'm a, squa- I'm a squatcher now because I've researched Bigfoot and all of that. So now we've got to figure out what your title is because you can add it to your lower third, babe. I, I need to. I mean, what is that? A vampire? A vampire? Is that? <laughs> Va- vamp- vampirology. Vampology. Yeah. I, it's, There's, it's legit. Yeah. There's got to be some kind of Latin word for a vampire that we can add ology to, even though technically that's Greek. We got it. It's we, great. We'll we, get there. We really should see how many times I referenced Twilight in this episode, because when you said... A word in Latin. I was like, oh my gosh, like in Twilight when they call them the cold ones. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. For for reference, I 
I have not read those books since they came out. Oh, okay. I was like, never? <laughs> no, I've read the books. My husband, Edward, has read the books. <laughs> so, like, it, it, we know of things, but I have i have only ever seen the first movie. Okay. I haven't seen anything past that point, and it's been a very long time. So today is not only a crash course in vampires in general, <laughs> but if we do end up talking Twilight, it's going to be a crash course for me of all of that lore. Yeah, I would say respectfully... You need to watch the series at least once. Like, at least once. <laughs> Respectfully, <laughs> I did not come to this pod nook with the intention of making you do things, but... But, like, you need to fully appreciate where the hell you been, Loka. True. In full context. Yeah. Or this, you know? this kind of a killer. Like, I mean, See, you that's have. from the first movie, right? Yes. But yeah, so again. I've seen that. But you have to... Honestly, you just have to suffer through the middle movies to get to the mind fuck that is the last movie. I'm sorry, suffer? Suffer through eclipse? <laughs> okay, all right. Before before we start arguing too much about the uh, quality of these of these movies, let's let's dive into your research. I'm I'm very excited. Okay, wait. Oh, I need but I need to set, I need to set you up, Marissa. Are you ready? Oh, please do. Please do. Yeah, okay. Your research. Say it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, before I dive in, though, I want to ask you both a question because I'm very curious about this. Audience participation. Audience participation. So The theater girlies are so excited. (laughs) Yeah. So if you had the chance, would you want to live forever? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely. Freaking literally not. I no thank you. I if it's especially if it's just me. I have no interest in that. Also, my body, we're not friends. So like if it got fixed, that would be great. But then I would want the opportunity to choose to die. Ooh, interesting. See, you were getting on my train of thought, Emma, because I was thinking just to throw in some extra lore, my brain went MTV's Teen Wolf. (laughs) character erica chooses to become a werewolf because she has all these like health problems because i my again my initial response was no i don't want to live forever but then i was like oh but like if i wasn't a diabetic if i could live life as a as a pancreatic person (laughs) what might that be like but then yeah like i feel like i'd want to die eventually like when the planet is just boiling like yeah but then i feel like you know Every, as I'm sure Marissa is going to inform us, there's there are things that affect vampires. So mm. I feel like I would just pull an Edward and go and be sparkly in the middle of a <laughs> courtyard and hope that somebody takes me out when it was my time, you know? <laughs> That's fair. Walk, yeah. Diva. Walk. <laughs> I think when I was younger and watching like Vampire Diaries or Twilight, the idea of living forever was much more re- romantic than in actuality I think it would actually be like. But now you have car payments and you're like, <laughs> no. No. I think because the idea, I feel like you would just get bored. Like after that, like centuries yes. and centuries of living and like doing everything you want to do. Like what do you do once you're done? Like you have, you have nothing left to entertain yourself because you've done everything. Like that's so... And like you said, like, if I was by myself, you have to, like, everyone you love dies off, right? And then you have to make all new friends every couple centuries. That's hard. Like, I don't think I could do that. Like, <laughs> I, do, I do appreciate where you're like, everyone you that you love dies. And then you have to make new friends. <laughs> no wonder they hide out in dreary castles by themselves. I would get a castle, like a dreary Scottish castle. And it wouldn't matter because I wouldn't be affected by the cold. And I would finally get through my TBR (laughs) because I would make no new friends and I'd just read because I wouldn't have to sleep and I'd live forever. Yeah. Can we also talk about how most vampires in like modern day interpretations are like teenagers or like young adults? Like imagine being stuck in your teenage brain for all of eternity. I think that's probably the worst fate anyone could ask for. Being in your own brain before it fully develops? I think not. <laughs> Marissa, this is once again another plug for you to watch True Blood to expand your 
vampiric repertoire. Because there's a character, Jessica, who is really young. Mm. And she deals with some of that that I won't get into the details of. But yes. Because also, like, have you seen an interview with the vampire? No. With the Brad Pitt and the Tom Cruise (laughs) in wigs? Do you wear wigs? And baby, (laughs) baby Kristen Dunst. I was going to say, Kristen Dunst plays, like, a child vampire. And, like, it's very interesting to see, like, how she is as a vampire because she was turned as a child. It's very, I I will say, it's also real creepy. Oh, yeah. But, like, just, I have a feeling Shannon will never watch this movie. I'm not going (laughs) to spoil it for anybody else if you haven't watched it. But Shannon's going to end up reading the Wikipedia page anyway, so. Why is it scary? No. It's not that bad. Also, isn't it gay or am I making that up? Well, the new miniseries. Uh, or the new like TV series definitely takes that route, but like in the original movie, they kind of like glossed over the more gay elements well, of Lestat because Tom, and Louis. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt were like, "Dude, no." <laughs> to which Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger said, "Hold my beer and my cowboy hat." <laughs> no, I feel like maybe it's just in my brain extra because because that's Anne Rice, right? That wrote it, wrote the book, and she was like notoriously a hater of fan fiction, which I feel like fan fiction as a whole, notoriously gay or queer, you know? So, anyway, all right, let's get into it. Let's get into the lore, you guys. So, let's talk about the origins of vampires. Well, first, I feel like I should probably define what we think of as the vampire. So, we are talking about what Olivia Rodrigo is talking about. These people, they only come out at night. <laughs> the Gen Z, the Gen Z of it all, talking to the millennials going, Olivia Rodrigo, this is our this is our social moment to connect. Yes, you're correct. We both love Olivia Rodrigo. Yes, we love Olivia here. Shout out Olivia Rodrigo. So we're talking about the people. They only come out at night. They have weakness in the sun. They don't appear in mirrors. They may or may not be afraid of garlic. They may or may not have a soul. These types of things, that's what we're talking about. Oh, and most importantly, they suck your blood. That is probably the most important thing when we're talking about vampires. So vampires' origins actually are really, really long. They can be dated back to prehistoric times. And even like ancient Greece, the ancient world, there have been descriptions of blood-sucking monsters. Um, They may not be like Count Dracula, where it's like a gentleman in a cape, that kind of vampire, but it's more like these creatures that prey on humans. And so basically there's there's so much widespread lore about vampires that I kind of have to narrow it down when I'm giving you the rundown of Vampire 101. But I will say, like, we're mostly going to be talking about the European and the Eastern European vampire. But it's important to note that vampires' origins can be dated back to Mesopotamia, ancient Greece, Philippines, Malaysia, Australia, the Caribbean, West Africa, and even Mexico all have kind of this interpretation of like a blood-sucking monster. So we can't talk about vampires without talking about Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, <laughs> I love me some Vlad. Vlad the Imperial. I'll explain later. Oh yes, please tell me about your your connections. So there's the this there's this movie series that was made for TV movies that my father and I were obsessed with, and Noah Wiley from ER. Yes, now Shannon's back on board with what I'm talking about. She's very confused for a second is in this movie series called The Librarian. Mm, And it's like Indiana Jones, but extreme nerdy. Like, not like there's there's adventure and stuff, but it's like he's a doofus. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible. The first movie, amazing. Second movie, okay. Third movie is about vampires. And Vlad the Impaler makes an appearance. And I watched this movie when I was like in late middle school, early high school. And I fell in love with it. I'd also <laughs> just finished Twilight, but it was like I wasn't as interested in the Twilight se- like side of it. I was more interested in like the history side of it. So like watching this movie was like, uh, and so I learned all I could about Vlad the Impaler. And my dad and I would talk about it at dinner all the time. <laughs> I'm sure your mom thing. loved that. We the bone shaman it. and I, the bone shaman and I, have some very serious like extreme 
hobbies i guess like things that we really enjoy that we're both like into that is just like we're together we're connected we're doing it and my mom's just like whatever it's fine (laughs) it's fine just don't talk about it at dinner that so, is so sorry. Funny. I got very excited about Vlad the Impaler. I'm so glad you're excited about Vlad the Impaler. So Vlad the Impaler, for those of us who were not in his fan club with my dad, he was a powerful ruler, and he is also believed to have been the inspiration for Brand Stoker's Dracula, which is very cool. So he was born in Transylvania, Romania, which yes, that's a real place, y'all. <laughs> and he ruled. Wallachia. Basically, he ruled on and off between 1448 and 1477. And Vlad the was known for being very violent, and he's best known for fighting the Ottoman Empire and killing his enemies with a wooden stake. So, yeah, pretty, pretty hardcore. And also, there's a lot of legends surrounding Vlad the Impaler and what he would do with, like, the blood of his enemies and things like that. Like, you know how people joke about, oh, the blood of my enemies? Like, Vlad the Impaler, like, he was the original of that. Like, he was really in to flexing on the blood of his enemies. Like, that was what he was about. But then, Vlad the Impaler, so that was 1400s. But then when we talk about European vampires. It really rose in the early 18th century of Europe, specifically Eastern Europe, because you have this Eastern European folklore coming out of Romania and Albania. So basically, this early folklore is giving us the traits that we know of vampires, including them being undead, nocturnal, and having shape-shifting abilities. So It's interesting because the folklore version of vampires is so different from the literature version of vampires. Like, not entirely different, but there is quite a bit of contrast there. For example, the vampires are often depicted as youthful. Uh, You have this idea of their condition being contagious, being passed on by a bite, and being, like, spread throughout towns and people becoming vampires. But you don't necessarily have the idea that these vampires are, like, inhumanly beautiful, which you kind of see later on with the literature. They're more just your, like, average villager, you know, because we'll get into why vampires were so feared during this time period. So during the 18th century in Eastern Europe, there was widespread disease and plague. So it, was, it wasn't it was the best time to be around, to be honest. And so basically, people turned to the idea of the supernatural um, to kind of cope with the amount of, like, disease and all the casualties of disease that they were seeing. So you would be surprised, but the belief in vampires was very real during this period. You know, you could consider it a lack of science. You could consider it just, you know, superstition. But people very much believed in vampires during this time period. And so one of the most common stories and lore that people would hear about or retell was that people would hear the voices of the dead coming from the graves of their loved ones. I see Emma's eyes going like. <laughs> and just, they say we hear the voices of the dead, but they're six feet under. So it's just a muffled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically they would hear in theory, their loved ones talking from behind the grave. And they believed that their loved ones would, if they were a vampire, would rise from the grave and like terrorize their loved ones coming back and visiting people and things like that. And so this was a very real fear that people had that when their loved ones died, either from disease or whatever, that they would come back as this undead monster and like try to prey on their families or the villagers and spread this vampire disease. It was a very real thing at the time. And so, again, very very different time period we're talking about here when we talk about how they dealt with the fear of vampires. So they would dig up the graves, often, of people they suspected to be vampires, and they would examine their bodies for evidence of vampirism. And so their idea of vampirism was anything that showed the body looking still lifelike after death. So this could be anything from hair growing or fingernails growing or evidence of fresh blood in the body. And so we know nowadays that this is something completely normal after death to happen. But at the time, people didn't quite understand why this was happening. And they were like, oh, my gosh, like this person is still alive. They're undead. They're coming and they're going to like hurt me and my family. Um, So when they would see these cases, they would basically 
try to re-kill the person, which is wild to think about. Um, but basically, this comes up with the idea of killing vampires. This is how we get into the lore of that. So the ways that you can kill a vampire is through decapitation, burning, or staking the body to the coffin. So unfortunately, all these poor people who were suspected of being vampires often would have these things done to them because this fear of vampires was so strong during that time period, which is just completely wild to think about. But something that came out very frequently in my research about vampires is vampires were often kind of a response to human fear. So you have this idea of disease going throughout Eastern Europe and a very real way that people coped with that was turning to the supernatural to blame it. And so that's why you kind of have fear driving this idea of the vampire. And so the vampire panic did not stop in Eastern Europe. She traveled over to <laughs> the United States, specifically New England. Um, yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, getting so excited. I'm so what are you excited, excited about? No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't ever contain my excitement. I will let you continue and then I will chime in. <laughs> alrighty, alrighty. So, when we get to talking about New England, obviously we know a lot about the Salem witch trials and all the stuff that was going on in New England at the time with that, but the vampire panic is honestly more forgotten than it should be because it's very fascinating this history that's over there in New England. So, we gotta, we gotta take it back a little before we talk about New England. And we gotta talk about 1720 Serbia because we have... <laughs> Arnold. We're jumping. We're jumping, jumping back. We're jumping back to talk about Arnold Pale. He's basically this man who believed that he was attacked by a vampire when serving in Kosovo. And so he later returned to his village. He was telling people that he was attacked by this vampire. And they were like, okay, Arnold, that's... <laughs> that, that's... Okay, Arnold. <laughs> Aw, man. But unfortunately he was later killed in a hay wagon accident. So the town... Sorry. <laughs> not you laughing at his trauma. I know, I'm so sorry, but it was just... I was not expecting that to... Sorry. So sorry. Please no, continue. It's like Wendy sorry, Williams. <laughs> and he died. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so he died in a hay wagon accident. And so shortly after his death, people began dying in pretty quick succession. And many of them had claimed that Arnold had visited them in the night and was trying to strangle them and harming them in other ways. I know. I see your faces. It's you don't like it. It's spooky. So people were like, okay, the townspeople were like, the only way to, that we can know for sure if Arnold is a vampire is by exhuming his body and seeing if it shows signs of vampirism. So it did, in fact, in their minds, show signs of vampirism because his body was still fairly preserved or whatever. And so they decided to brutally kill him in the ways of killing a traditional or re-kill him in the ways of killing a traditional vampire. So there are so many stories like Arnold's of people saying that they saw their dead relative or they saw someone who died visiting them and then them going and trying to like prove that this person was a vampire. So pretty much all you needed to do to be, to, <laughs> to be accused of being a vampire at this time period was to have died either by disease or natural causes have, you know, people see you, whether that be out of grief or maybe you actually are appearing to them. And then, you know, show signs that your body is not decomposing as fast as people believed it should. And people would probably say you were a vampire, which is pretty wild to think about. But so 200 years after the Salem witch trials, there was a spread of tuberculosis in New England. And this very much inspired the vampire panic. So if we're talking about New England vampires, we have to talk about Mercy Brown. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Emma, Emma so I got so excited that I knocked She's my headphones off. I knocked my glasses off. off. I'm just so excited. I know. This was something that I learned in middle school while living in Rhode Island wow. because they are obsessed. Yes. So this was so sorry. something... No, I mean, it's a very small uh, state. 
it we really don't got a lot is. going on. And before I go, there was another so dramatic. One that, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, um, there was another vampire story that was very okay. Yeah, I have that pulled up. There was another vampire story that was very similar to Mercy Brown that I also wanted to mention. But yeah, so Mercy Brown. Basically, this is one of the most famous incidents of vampire lore in New England, specifically Rhode Island. So the story starts with George Brown, and he lost his wife, Mary Brown, and his daughters, Mary Olive Brown and Mercy Brown, in short succession uh, to disease. So people at the time thought that this could be consumption. Most likely it was probably tuberculosis. But again, very traumatic to lose that many family members in a short period of time. So shortly after this, after the death of his daughter, Mercy, his son, Edwin Brown, also fell ill. Again, the doctor said that this was probably consumption, but in reality, it was probably tuberculosis, which is the same thing, but, you know, what we call it today. And so essentially, the townspeople were concerned that Edwin was going to meet the same fate as his family, and they believed that the only way to save him was to exhume the bodies of his family to see if they were vampires who were causing all of these deaths to happen, and they wanted to save Edwin from dying as well of tuberculosis. So they exhumed the bodies, and they believed that they had been rising from the dead at night, and that they had been responsible for the illness of the family, and that they were quickly going to come after Edwin as well. So Brown's wife and his daughter, Mary, were not considered to have vampiric qualities at all. Like they considered that they looked the way that a body after death should look, that there was nothing concerning there. However, Mercy still appeared lifelike after being dead for about two months. And there's a lot of theories as to why she still looks like this. Probably the most reasonable answer is that it was the two coldest months of the year when she was there. And so it was preserving her body more than probably normal. So immediately, they believed that the only way to save Edwin was to kill the vampire that was hunting George Brown's family. So according to the legend, Mercy's heart was removed and burned on a nearby rock. And they believed that her ashes were the key to healing Edwin. I have no idea why they thought this, but at the time, they truly believed that this was the key to saving their son, and it was at, the ashes were added to his medicine, but unfortunately, Edwin did die two months later, and, you know, there was no way they could have prevented that at the time. So that is a very famous vampire story, but another very, like, less known, but still known story that came out when I was looking at my research was the story of Sarah Tillinghast, who is yeah. very, Sorry. no, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> it's very it's just... similar to Mercy Brown. Essentially her father had this dream of his, like, I think it was his like fields and he saw that half of his crops died. And so he thought that that was a premonition that half of his children were going to die as well. Very Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream. <laughs> so, yeah, so Joseph coded. <laughs> but essentially, his story, again, this is a story that has very much been engulfed in legend. So it's a matter of, you know, probably more likely four of his children died, not the half. But it's kind of something that's been blown out of proportion over time. And so he believed that it was his daughter, Sarah, who had risen from the dead and was going after his family. And it was a very similar situation to the Mercy Brown incident. So yeah, that is Mercy Brown. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about that, Emma? Because I know you're really into it. <laughs> so again, I will say middle school, like late middle school, early high school, I was living in Rhode Island with my family. And it was like a project in our history class because there are so many, weird, Rhode Island is funny in general, but also for this instance in particular, that there are quite a few grave sites and like graveyards that are just dotted 
everywhere. Like they could be in the middle of a neighborhood. They could be in the middle of a development. But there's a requirement that you have to build around them. You're not allowed to move the bodies unless there is something that is immediately infrastructurally going to be in the way so far as I remember from this history class. So that was what our professor, or our professor, good God, our teacher was telling us about. He was, you know, trying to nail that into our heads of this is a weird, spooky place. <laughs> this is why. And we were reading Dracula in our class and he was connecting it to places in Rhode Island, including Mercy Brown's story, because her gravesite is one of these weird little off the beaten path but also in the middle of everything kind of gravesite and we didn't do any kind of visiting of it which i was really bummed about there was no field trip to go and visit mercy brown damn but there is an issue of people vandalizing her gravesite because of the vampire lore and history and things a lot of it has more to do with like the respect portion of it of like yo, Mercy, you're cool, chick, like that kind of thing, than it is a, like, actual vandalism of, you know, the vampires, all all vampires must die kind of thing. Like, there isn't really any of that. There's much more of a, like, respect to the history, but it's still vandalism, considered vandalism, because some people will try and actually steal the headstone, or they'll try and, like, things like that. It's really not great. So I think... I don't. I haven't heard anything about it in Rhode Island for a while. My guess is that there's some kind of protection around it because of the story. But our teacher was also like, so Bram Stoker definitely came to New England to learn about the vampire panic in in New England specifically. He learned about Mercy Brown, and that's what Dracula is based on. And we were like. <laughs> But Vlad the Impaler is very clearly, like, where all this lore comes from, Transylvania. I don't think that. So he was really into it. And it was really sweet, the, like, passion he was trying to push it with. Um, So that's, I have a very clear memory of that class and of the, like, lore around Mercy Brown. And also just, like, a shout out for the tiniest state in the Union. Like, what's up, Rhode Island? (laughs) You got very little going for you, according to all the other states. So you got vampires, though. So spook them. Yeah, I will say I watched, if you've ever seen the YouTube channel Ask a Mortician, she was a great resource for this research because she had a whole thing about vampires especially like the new england vampire panic and like in the video she like went to mercy brown's grave and things like that and it's so interesting that that's still there and that people i mean i imagine it wouldn't have moved over time but it's so interesting that people still make the journey to go see it it's really cool yeah but now we can step into how literature morphed the vampire because before this, we've been talking all about the folklore version of the vampire. And now we get kind of into the literature of it. And you can kind of see the evolution of how the vampire is in our current consciousness. So vampires became a staple of literature in the 19th century, inspiring many poems and Gothic literature. I will say Gothic literature is a fave of mine. I was an English major in the words of Megan the Stallion. Real goth girl on a real hot topic. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Again, the Gen Z just reaching a hand out for the millennials and sprinkling on some spice. Thank you. We also love Megan Thee Stallion here too because she also loves ghosts. So we love, we love Meg. Um, but the very first kind of vampire literature we see is 1819's The Vampire by John William Poltor? Poltior? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't King. know how to say it either. <laughs> I'm sorry, King, she says. <laughs> I know that this work was very important. Oh. I'm sorry for butchering your name. But this work is very interesting because we really get to see the vampire take shape into what we know of it as today. So in this version, the vampire is an aristocratic gentleman. So this is important because before this point, the vampire was kind of just your average villager, your family member. But this, we kind of see the sophisticated vampire. Like this is before the Edward, the Edward Cullens, the Carlisle Cullens, who like had money and influence and things like that. Like this was kind of our first depiction of that. And we also see this kind of sexuality of the vampire as well coming into it. 
of the vampire being a sexual being, of being alluring and things like that. And then also we see the vampire. This is not new, but this is something that kind of builds on the lore of old. The vampire being violent, being a murderer, specifically going after younger women. We see that a lot in vampire literature. And then we get to Carmilla, which is an Irish novella. And this is especially interesting because it's about a female vampire preying on another female vampire. So this is something kind of new in the lore. And it's also a very famous work. Shay, have you ever read Carmilla? I have not. I know. It's shocking. You'd love it. <laughs> you love it. It's, it's great. It's, it's very gay. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a classic Opening for a reason. Opening Libby as we speak. <laughs> There you go. And it is shorter than Dracula. So And it and it should be actually a public domain. So you could probably just find it on Google Books or something and Yeah, I don't it. read things on my computer. I need them read to me. <laughs> I see. That's right. It is an audio situation for you. I forget. Yes. And so then after that we get the real we get the big one. We get 1897's Dracula by Bram Stoker. This I don't think there's really a way to emphasize how big this book is to shaping our modern version of the vampire. It is my favorite thing. (laughs) I know that I did this like big. It's not. It's like that big. But like it's my favorite thing to be like, okay, so the three books that you want to read if you want to be like a gothic girly, (laughs) Frankenstein, Dracula, and what's the other Shelley shit? I think it was his book of poems, something oh, like that. Oh, like anyway. Percy Shelley, like that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude, the dude. Not yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Not the good one. The, like, mediocre one. Mid. Mid. <laughs> Can yeah. I just, hold on. Can I interrupt? This is the cover of this book. Why does it look like a Kindle Unlimited romance? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's three hours long. I, I'll report back after Thanksgiving break. Amazing. Thank you. I will also say to the goth girlies out there, Jane Eyre, I feel like it's also <gasps> important. And Weathering yes. Heights, also also crucial. I'd go I'd go Jane Eyre more than I would Weathering Heights because there's a bit less pining and a bit more of the like dark and dirty kind of stuff happening in Jane Eyre. Yes. So yeah. The the pining shit, I can't <laughs> Heathcliff can go jump off a cliff. It's fine. <laughs> Heathcliff hate train over here. I Choo Sorry. Choo. <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> but yes, so Dracula, very, very crucial. So for those of you who haven't read Dracula, Dracula follows Jonathan Harker as he travels to Transylvania and meets Count Dracula. And this book is really interesting because it's told through letters, diary entries, things like that. And so he ends up residing in Dracula's castle and Dracula. Dragula? Dra- nope. Yep. There it is. <laughs> Dragula. <laughs> Work, Wait, bitch. Have you seen? There's a current production right so now. So sorry. We keep stopping you. That's like campy, oh, yes. gay Dracula. I want to <gasps> see this I have so bad. Seen that. Yes, I have. I Hold on. You keep talking and I'll Google it and we can tell. The <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. But yes. So he resides in Dracula's castle. And in time, Dracula is... Dracula's identity as a vampire is revealed, um, and Dracula goes on to terrorize England, preying on humans and turning them into new vampires. Woo! And you say he didn't have goals. You didn't say he (laughs) he said he didn't have ambition. (laughs) He's got ambition. He's got goals. He's going on vacay. He's having a great time. (laughs) Um, So with Dracula, we get new lore unlocked. Isn't that exciting? So Bram Stoker basically brought about the idea that vampires can turn into bats. This was not a thing before Bram Stoker. Yeah, a lot of people thought that this, like, the vampire was, like, inspired by the bat. Like, no, that was entirely Bram Stoker's um, idea. Also, the idea of vampires being distinguished aristocrats who have this kind of monstrous side to them. Uh, Very much a Stoker idea, kind of playing on the vampire that we saw earlier. Also, fear of crucifixes, Bram Stoker. Uh, weakness in sunlight, Bram Stoker. Not being able to be seen in mirrors, Bram Stoker. Like, he basically was the the mind behind all of these ideas that we think of with vampires today. We love. 
We love. He also did draw on previous lore, um, including using garlic to ward off vampires and sticking vampires through the heart. But as we can see, those were all from the folklore as well, which was really, really interesting. Um, did you want to say something? Did you want to show us what you Googled? <laughs> yes. I, I'm here to tell you that Dracula, a comedy of terrors is i'm reading from their website a comedy of terrors is a laugh out loud 90 minute gender bending quick changing off-broadway play about bram stoker's legendary vampire wow so there you go all the clips on tiktok have been absolutely hilarious there wow oh my gosh i just clicked on their website there is blood dripping down the sides (laughs) of the purple screen uh that's I love it. Sexy and campy with nonstop polarity. I c- didn't stop laughing for 90 minutes straight. You don't want to miss this. That's a review from Forbes. In case you Amazing. Thanks, Forbes. Yeah, we need yeah, to go. Didn't... I and, love uh, that. They do appear to be playing through January 7th of 2024. So there okay, you go. So quick, go. quick trip up. Let's just all hop in the car, do a quick little doop doop. Watch it, laugh about it, talk about it all the way home. It'll be great. Amazing. Yeah. Another thing that came up in my research about Dracula is a lot of scholars believe that Dracula kind of embodies the fear um, and the prejudice people had against Eastern Europeans at the time, especially because Dracula has these Eastern European features and he's seen as this, you know, violent figure that's terrorizing England And so there kind of is that undercurrent of xenophobia there that we don't know if it was intentional on Stoker's part or just something that scholars have noted, but it's it's something that came up a lot in the research. And it really, there is that undercurrent of vampires kind of being a fear, like being this manifestation of people's fear of the unknown. And it's really interesting, especially when we think about like vampires being this like symbol of temptation and things Mm -hmm. like that. Like they really are a reflection of people's fears. Shannon, were you going to say something? Yes, um, got not so excited. To, not to downplay uh, xenophobia. Very bad, 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 <laughs> bad, bad times. But live action Dracula starring Sebastian Stan. Ooh, <laughs> is that just, is that a pitch? <laughs> yes. The world. Okay, I'm just Putting making it sure that it wasn't something that already happened that we were oh, not aware of. Because I don't think so. I, I would be aware of it. <laughs> I would be aware. <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> that, I would be aware. Let's be very honest. That would be epic. Would you be? Would you want to be casted with him? Okay. First of all, <laughs> nitpick. Uh, the past tense of to cast is cast. <laughs> I would not would I want to be cast with him? Um no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I could not be a professional person with the the amount of things that I have said on this podcast, shared on the internet, my Tumblr, like I could not look that man in the face in a work environment. <laughs> no. I'm a walking HR violation. Are you joking? Oh my god. I would love no, I, I would want, want to just watch one that. night, just one night only, where Shannon is co-starring, or even just ensemble background, just doing this, just <laughs> jazz hands. You're like a tree background. in the background. I'm making a movie, so not necessarily <laughs> dancing trees in the background. That's Maybe you're fair. just like a villager or something. I like was that. thinking much yeah. more like what was that scary movie with Tom Hiddleston that I never watched more than the first fifteen Crimson, minutes of Crimson Peak. That. Mm, yeah just like but like less scary but like scary sexy sexy scary vibes (laughs) sexy scary scary sexy yeah (laughs) yeah okay just manifesting that we'll 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 also manifest that for you mike rose send this to all your hollywood friends (laughs) (laughs) oh mike rose okay so that takes us to this quote that I found by the scholar Carl Barber. And this was really interesting because he talks about the difference between the folkloric vampire and the literature vampire. So he says in this quote, I have found it necessary to distinguish repeatedly between the fictional and the folkloric vampire. So essentially the fictional vampire sucks blood from the neck of the victim. While often the folkloric vampire attacks the chest area. So we can see kind of there's almost this like inherent sexuality, even to the way that the literature vampire preys on victims. And even the folkloric vampire, 
may not suck blood at all. It may just try to strangle the person in the night and things like that. The fictional vampire is tall, thin, and sallow. So who does that bring to mind? Does that bring to mind like Timothy Chalamet? <laughs> She's like, what cultural reference can I bring in here? Timothy Shalamadamadingong as Nosferatu. That's the movie I want, but I want it as a parody. Like what we do in the shadows style, but like just an like an SNL sketch. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, we, we love Timmy here. Timmy, we, we're ready for your vampire <laughs> you, career. You you love Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> we have thoughts about him playing any adult in any movie ever. Your thoughts it's chocolate, him- you see? Oh, I was going to say, I like chocolate, of course. <laughs> chocolate, oh, of course. It's chocolate says Alyssa. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Yeah, so obviously, yes, the fictional vampire... We're thinking Timothy Chalamet. For the folkloric vampire, the folkloric vampire is plump and ruddy, um, dark in color. So usually someone who looks lifelike. So yeah, I don't know who, who would be the, the comparison of that. But Bucky Barnes. Oh, Bucky Barnes. <laughs> what's, what's his real name, Shannon? Why do I not ever do that? Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. <laughs> I was like, it's the same because he has the alliterative yes, part of it, his it name, so it just sticks in my head. Sam Stan. As a, yes. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian, Man, you are looking good. <laughs> you, ever, you ever seen a tree without a trunk? <laughs> I love it. Shout out Anthony Mackie. Big fan of the show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then the fictional vampire springs from nobility and lives in a castle. So we're thinking about Shannon as an immortal, just living in her castle, reading her books all day. That's the fictional vampire. Um, well, the folkloric vampire is a peasant uh, who resides in the graveyard that they were buried. So, you know, <laughs> is that you, Emma? <laughs> as I wave in, yep, it's me. Hello. So yeah, it's very interesting to see those differences and how our current interpretation of vampires really build on all these years of lore that have accumulated over time. And so finally, in the last part of my research, that takes us to modern vampires, the Edward Cullen of it all, if you will. So movies and television have really been crucial in developing what we consider a vampire to look like. For example, in Dracula the book, you're not going to see Dracula walking around with a cape. But in the movies, or the very first film iterations of Dracula, that's where he got his cape from, where we see so often today in, like, Hotel Transylvania or wherever else he appears. (laughs) So that wouldn't even exist without the film's interpretation of Dracula, which I think is so interesting. But Wow. So y'all better thank Bram Stoker, (laughs) or rather, Bella Lugosi, when you're eating your limited edition... um, Count Chocula. Chocula. I was going to say. Uh, limited, which I will Count, say. Count I Chocula with berries. I, it's all on sale. I got a two ninety nine box of Captain Crunch with ghosts in it last night. Very exciting. <laughs> uh, we also, we did an episode on Bela Lugosi and his history. He is Eastern European. Yes, he so is. So he's filling that as well. And he has a spooky mirror that's in Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum. So just for anyone who wants it. Go ahead to go to Vegas. Oh my gosh. I have heard of this story. It's very ooky, very spooky. It's very good. <laughs> Listen back. Yeah. But when we're thinking about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, True Blood, Interview with the Vampire, Twilight, My Fave, Vampire Diaries, like none of those would really exist without these years and years of lore that have evolved over time in both folklore and fiction. And it's really fascinating to see how these more modern interpretations of the vampire kind of take the original traits and ideas about the vampire and morph it into something new and more modern. Something that I think is especially interesting is the modern interpretation really emphasizes the inhuman beauty of these vampires. Like, especially when we're talking about the Cullens, when we're talking about Stefan and Damon of the Vampire Diaries kind of just being these, like, You know, when you're in a small town and then you have these random men coming in who look like (laughs) they're like, I don't even know from where, like an Abercrombie shoot. Like, that's not what Bram Stoker was envisioning, y'all. Like, that was what the CW was envisioning. (laughs) Bram 
Bram Stoker's not over there writing his pecs twitched with anticipation. Like, that's not where he was at. <laughs> Who was writing oh, that? Writing that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not. No one. I'm saying. If he's a <laughs> I was agreeing with you. I was just making it visual. I, you know, that is that's a visual. <laughs> okay, but I feel I'm like sorry. I was gonna make the opposite argument. Like I was gonna be like, wow. And when people try to like shame teenage girls for loving a vampire pop culture thing, it's like no, really, they are from the roots of classic literature. They, they are, are indeed following in the footsteps. Yeah, because vampires, like, have been captivating people for centuries. And that, you know, there, there's a very real interest there, whether it's the Edward Cullen of it all or Dracula. Like, both are captivating and interesting, and it makes sense why people are drawn to them and interested in these, like, immortal creatures who can live forever and have all these cool traits. And, I mean, there's something also to be said about the like soapy romanceification of vampires and how that's compelling to people. And y'all, I low-key have a theory. Do you want to hear it? Absolutely. <laughs> I feel that one of the reasons Twilight was so successful at the time, I mean, there were many reasons why Twilight was so successful at the time, but when we think about the movies and like the housing crisis that was like happening around 2008 and the amount of stress that people were in during that time period, especially like, stresses on marriages and relationships and things like that. Wouldn't a story about immortal love transcending odds really be captivating to you at the time and something that kind of takes you away from your mundane day-to-day stresses and the idea of love being eternal and lasting and overcoming all sorts of obstacles? I feel like that was one of the reasons that people gravitated to it so much. In this essay, I will. (laughs) (laughs) I will... I will say I will yes and your theory by also pointing out that Twilight came out around the time that She Who Shall Not Be Named's uh, famous wizarding series was coming to an end. Correct. And in fact, the only reason or not, I mean, the reason I owned the first Twilight book was because my cousin Dana and I, shout out Dana, you don't listen to the podcast, but... We pre-ordered our copies of Deathly Hollows back when this was a thing. And we were standing in line for the midnight release, winding our way through the store. I don't remember if it was still a Borders back then or if it was a Burns and Noble. R.I.P. Borders. <laughs> Marissa, do you remember Borders? Oh, yeah. I loved Borders. I used to go okay, there cool. all the time. Yeah. What about okay. Books a Million? Oh, yeah. I went to Books a Million. Okay. okay, great. <laughs> we're on good we're on good ground. Your millennial age check, you've passed it. Okay. But I remember we were passing through the YA section and because I had pre-ordered the book, I had a coupon for like 20% off another book when you pick up. Oh. And I was like, well, I'm going to need something to fill the void. So I was like, oh, look at this thick, chunky book. Oh, okay, vampires, interesting. <laughs> cool. And that's how I got into it. So I feel like that that audience that had like grown up with Harry Potter that was then prime in YA age range may have been also looking to fill the void. I completely agree. I think that was crucial. Yeah. And that's why I feel like the Hunger Games sort of followed shortly after Mm. because people were like. Let's just keep finding a new thing to hyperfixate on. <laughs> oh, and then it was something just dystopian. The era yeah. of dystopian and/or paranormal teen romance, some of which were better than others. I will take this opportunity. I believe I plugged it on the podcast before, but I will continue to plug it <laughs> while I have a platform. Twilight had its moment. It has its time. Uh, similar to Emma, I haven't reread the books. I don't really plan to. No shade to anybody who chooses to do that. But if you're looking for a vampire series that does hold up to reading it as an adult, Vampire Academy by Rochelle Mm. Mead. Chef's Kiss. Beautiful. Love it. Don't watch the movie. The movie's trash. (laughs) And there's like seven books. So go go get your fix. Thank you very much. Yeah. I love this. We love it. Once a bookseller, always a bookseller, baby. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. And then just to kind of wrap us up on our research here, 
Something that I think is also interesting when we're looking at characters like Edward Cullen or the Salvatores or, I mean, also I haven't read or watched Vampire Academy, but I have heard of like Dimitri and things like that. Like I know. <laughs> also, oh my God, if they got Sebastian Stan to play <laughs> him in the remake. <laughs> yeah. Like I think Girl. it's interesting that there's this idea of, again, I'm going to say it. I was an English major, so I'm going to use the word Byronic. The Byronic hero, like the brooding man of the Gothic world, like I find it interesting how popular that character is. This idea of, again, it kind of goes back even to like the vampire, where it's a sophisticated vampire, whether he be like well traveled or he has money or he just is like older and alluring, but he also has this monstrous side that is frightening, but also people are interested in and drawn by. And so I think it's interesting how we have this kind of dichotomy with these characters where, you know, Edward Cullen is a vampire. Like he has objectively killed people, especially when you watch Eclipse, when you watch Eclipse and you get to see some Edward lore and you get to see his backstory. Like he's not a perfect vampire. Like he's not a vegetarian all the time, but readers bella still find him compelling and they love this like dichotomy of the monster with this man who's in love with the woman and who has this like romance with the woman and it's so interesting to see how popular that is and then basically to sum up this journey that i have taken you guys on on vampire lore you couldn't get edward cullen edward cullen would not exist without years and years of vampire folklore, literature, stories, and of course also my chemical romance. You would not get him without that as well. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but yeah, that is Vampire 101. Did I do good? Thank <laughs> you. Oh my gosh, Professor Marissa has just completely given us everything we have ever wanted when I'm it comes so to glad. vampires. I'm Thank so you. glad. Now you can tell people all about vampire lore and vampire history. <laughs> yes. Yay. What was it? Dragula? Dragula. Dragula. Well, that's Dragula. also a song. Have you guys heard that song? Dracula no. or Dragula? Dragula. No. Should I drop it in the chat? Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, God. That yeah, was quite an image. <laughs> yeah, this is by Rob Zombie. Y'all ever heard of oh, him? Oh, okay. <laughs> this Got it. I know where we're at now. This song also played in The Matrix. When Keanu Reeves is like walking through the club and this is playing. <laughs> okay. I've never seen The Matrix. Confession. Oh, it's, you'd actually really enjoy that one. No, it's, I know. I mean, it's and it's Keanu and it's, Keanu. it's by trans uh, filmmakers we love. Yeah. Keanu. It's I love so Shannon coded. Like, you need it to really watch is. The Matrix. <laughs> right, you love well, it. Maybe this afternoon after we record some more episodes, I'll treat myself. There you go. Well, thank you, Marissa, so much for coming. I'm so happy we got to do this. I'm sorry that it is a virtual Nook space. The next time that you come to tell us all about something that you have done incredible research on, uh, we will give you two of these little matchbooks. Thank you. Have oh our my logo gosh. On I'll them. steal. I'll steal one from uh, from the house oh, when I come true. for, for friends. You'll at least get one for. You'll at least get one for for this this recording. I so. will ferry them oh. to you like a yes. carrier pigeon. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This was a blast. You're welcome. Thank you for would being you, here. Would you like to tell the people where else they could potentially find you talking about wonderful things? Yes. Including vampires. Yes. <laughs> Including vampires. I have a podcast with my best friend. It's called But I Digress. It's on Spotify. It's all about pop culture. Every episode is a new topic. Our next one, we're actually going to see The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes today, the new Hunger Games movie. That's Hence the t-shirt with the Peter Malark on it. Even though you would think I wear this every day, I, I do, in fact, not. Um, <laughs> you should wear that to the office. Team PETA is a lifestyle few, actually many understand. Um, <laughs> Especially after Five Nights and Freddy's. So. Oh, my gosh, yes. The Josh Hutcherson renaissance is so real. 
Um, so beautiful. But yeah, you can find me over there. We talk about lots of fun things. Our next episode is going to be about the game. So if that's something you're into, you should check us out. Um, and yeah, definitely check out the this podcast doesn't exist socials because I know that it's very, very nice over there. And as a social media person, um, I give it my seal of approval. I really enjoy Amazing. It. <laughs> as a Gen Z social media manager. Yes. Yes. Correct. It's like a double seal of approval. Amazing. <laughs> the validation is just so real. High key. I'm so glad it. that I could provide that today. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, friend. Please remember everyone else. This podcast doesn't exist. But vampires might. <laughs> we don't know. Goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm.